brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. there, internets, and welcome to another episode of SoftRep Radio. My name is Alex Hollings, and as you may have already guessed, I am not the regular host of this show. Brandon Webb, the, the guy who usually hosts this program, as well as Big Phil Campion, who will be hosting some future episodes, are both off doing the kinds of badass things that badass guys like them tend to do. And they asked me if I'd fill in this week, give you guys something a little out of the ordinary, and then you'll get back to your regularly scheduled programming with them next week. So before we jump into the weird stuff I've got planned, I want to make sure you guys know who I am. Again, my name is Alex Howlings. I was the senior staff writer for a very long time at softrep.com and then thenewsrep.com. I've also spent some time working for the company's sister sites. For instance, I'm currently the managing editor over at The Loadout Room. I've also spent time working for Fighter Sweep. And you can find my work really all over the internet. I'm a frequent contributor for Popular Mechanics. I'm also regularly on websites like We Are The Mighty, Business Insider, Yahoo News. You can really find my name just about anywhere people are swearing in a comment section, right? A lot of you guys may have heard my voice before because I've been a frequent guest on this program, and I've even hosted it once or twice in the past. But that's all over now. Now we're on this week, and this week's episode is about something really cool in my book, and I'm hoping cool in yours. I'm interested to hear how you guys feel about this because I'm going to be going with more of a narrative as opposed to a discussion in this week's episode. Today, I'm going to be telling you guys more of a story, something that I've scripted ahead of time, and I'm really hoping that you guys dig it. If you do dig it, it will not be the format for SoftRap Radio in the future, but it could feasibly be the format for something else that I work on down the road. So without further ado, let's talk about what this week's subject is. And this week's subject is the Andre Expedition, which is an early polar expedition. And I really, really love researching and writing about the early days of the polar expeditions in very much the same way that I so much love writing about the Gemini and the Apollo programs from NASA's heyday. And what it really is that it's not the technology, it's really about the indomitable human will, you know, our willingness to to keep pushing to see what's over that next horizon, even if for all intents and purposes, we really shouldn't have anything left in the tank. You know, this human desire to go a little bit further, even if it means losing my health, even if it means getting injured, even if it means losing my life, this drive that humanity has to push the horizons of what we can see, what we can understand, what we can touch just a little bit further if not for us, but for the next guy, is really, I think, one of the best parts of humanity. If you know me, you know that I don't have a whole lot of faith in humanity as a whole, right? I'm a paranoid guy. That's the reason why I like gear. I like to be prepared, and I don't 
really trust many people. So when I find something that I can really genuinely admire, something I can really appreciate, something that gives me that warm, fuzzy feeling inside that goes, maybe, just maybe humanity is worth keeping around for a little bit longer, I try my best to cling to those things. And it's important to note that victory isn't really the requirement here, right? You don't have to actually succeed in order to be great. All you have to do is try, you know? And it's really, it's in the try that you earn my respect and admiration. It's not so much in the accomplishment. Plenty of dumbasses, plenty of idiots, plenty of assholes have accidentally accomplished something great. And that doesn't take away from their accomplishment necessarily, but I don't admire you for stumbling upon greatness. I actually do admire you if you fail in the effort, if you fail in the pursuit of it. I think that's a lot more respectable. And that is really what the story of Solomon August Andre is all about. You see, it can be easy to lose perspective when we're talking about historical events. Once timelines stretch a bit beyond the horizon of our own memory, they tend to get fuzzy. Most people would be surprised to know, for instance, that Cleopatra's lifetime was actually closer to ours than it was to the construction of the pyramids, or that the Tyrannosaurus Rex is further separated from the Stegosaurus than it is from us on the, you know, the length of history's timeline. It's because of this weakness that we have when it comes to memory that we tend to lose sight of how recent a development mankind's dominance of this globe really, really is. Because you see, back in 1897, and we're talking just 72 years before Neil Armstrong walked on the moon, we weren't even sure if it was possible to reach the North Pole. See, at the time, our species was still regulated to exploring the furthest reaches of the planet the old-fashioned way. The only way to get places was by ship, on foot, maybe on horseback, or by dog sled. But that was about it. But then this one guy had this crazy idea. What if we tried exploring the world by air instead? Now, here in the future, from our vantage point of satellite reconnaissance, and, you know, the U-2 spy plane is 50 years old, it's hard to imagine a world that didn't do its exploration from above. But it wasn't all that long ago that that's the only way we knew how to do it. So Solomon August Andre was a Swedish explorer that was well aware of previous efforts to reach the North Pole, and he was further well aware that they had all failed. He had this crazy idea. He envisioned coasting across the Arctic skies in a hot air balloon. He figured he'd reach the North Pole in whatever state it might be, because to be honest, at that time, we had no idea if the North Pole was on a sheet of ice, if it was on a piece of land, or maybe it was just empty ocean. But whatever it was, he hoped to find it via hot air balloon and then return, you know, with awesome stories about this incredible voyage he took in the sky. Now, it wasn't totally unheard of. At the time, hot air balloons had already been used in aviation for years. I mean, there are stories of hot air balloons dating back to the Civil War, right? Where, like, you'd fly up to get a good look at the battle space. But no hot air balloon had ever remained aloft for more than 15 days. And the, the reason why that 15-day mark is really important is because by Andre's own math, he would need at least 30 days in the air in order to reach the North Pole and come back. Now, way up in the frigid Arctic, it's not like he could land, resupply, and take off again. He needed to literally complete this entire expedition in the balloon and airborne. 
So in order to do that, he came up with a whole bunch of new contraptions that he claimed would allow this new balloon ship he was building to travel even against the wind. Now, you don't have to have ever traveled in a hot air balloon to know that they tend to be kind of at the will of the wind. It is, after all, a balloon, right? You can control your ascent, you can control your descent, and to a certain degree, you can try to manage where you're headed. But ultimately, a strong gust of wind is really going to be the deciding factor in where you go. But according to Solomon August Andre, he had developed a way to make his balloon fly against the wind so that he could be in total control of his balloon expedition throughout the length of it. And now that, of course, was essential because if it was going to take 30 days for him to make this venture, this journey, that's a best case scenario. And if he managed to get lost, he would outlast the flying time of his balloon. So you might not be surprised to learn that this plan had plenty of critics, right? Aside from the fact that most people weren't sure you could even reach the North Pole, they certainly weren't confident that you could do it in a hot air balloon. But this plan did also garner some pretty significant support. You know, one guy who was really down for this cause was Alfred Nobel, who aside from being the founder of the Nobel Peace Prize, was also the inventor of dynamite. One thing really led to the other there. Another guy that was really interested in this plan was the king of Sweden, this dude named Oscar II. And the reason why that was so important is because this was going to be a very expensive undertaking, and it really helped to have the backing of a king in order to make this happen. So Andre's hydrogen balloon, talking about expensive, was made in Paris, and they used layers of varnished silk to put this balloon together. All told, all sewed together, all of this silk measured nearly 100 feet high, and it weighed a ton and a half. Now, we're talking about a ton and a half of silk. This is not a cheap enterprise. The next part was working on the hydrogen, right? Because now that you have a balloon, you need to fill it with something, something that's lighter than air. The problem is, of course, that hydrogen is highly explosive, as you may have learned from watching videos of the Hindenburg disaster in school growing up, right? Andre believed, though, that he could mitigate the risks of using hydrogen for his journey by doing some little things like mounting the airship's cook stove outside the basket that he and his crew would ride in. He didn't do a whole lot else to try to prevent this balloon from exploding somewhere over the North Pole, but in his defense, it didn't, so maybe he was right. As impossible as this goal really did seem at first glance, he and his two crewmates that he picked out, one guy's name was, I mean, I'm going to mispronounce this, but I'll be honest with you guys. It looks like his name is Nut, K-N-U-T, Nut Frankel, who's a 26-year-old civil engineer, and this other dude named Nils Strindberg, who was a physics professor. These guys were just crazy enough to come on this history-making journey. They wanted to be the first human beings ever to reach the North Pole. And it's important to note that that's the same reason why the Swedish king was on board. Because just like the space race, just like trying to reach the moon, being the first human beings to reach the North Pole was about more than just exploration. It was about pride, national pride, really. It was about accomplishing something great under someone's banner. And King Oscar II was all about making sure this happened under his banner. And you know, for better or worse, it did. Because on July 11th, 1897, the three-man crew and their silk balloon took off from an island in the Svalbard archipelago 
And that day, a lot of the people in the crowd seemed really optimistic about their chances. Not everybody was, though. And one witness wrote as they drifted off, For a moment then, between two hills, we perceive a gray speck over the sea, very, very far away. And then finally, it disappears. Now, that quote wouldn't be so ominous if it weren't for the fact that that was the last time anyone ever saw those three men alive. They would not succeed in finding the North Pole and returning with incredible stories about their adventures. But in a way, therein really lies the heroism. You see, there is no victory without the chance for defeat. In a way, there's no victory without defeat at all. And while the Andre expedition did end in failure, the odds were stacked against them and they chose to try instead. And that is real heroism. So more than 30 years later, a Norwegian sloop, now a sloop is a single-masted sailing ship that they just decided to give a funny name to. Now this sloop was called the Bratvag, and it stopped at a remote Arctic island called White Island. The ship was splitting duty between seal hunting and a geological expedition that was headed by a dude named Dr. Gunnar Horn. Now, surprisingly enough, on the second day at White Island, it wasn't Dr. Gunnar Horn, but actually the hunters that came back to the ship with a noteworthy discovery. They had found a handwritten diary with the ominous title, The Sledge Journey, 1897. Now, the seal hunters reported finding the diary after coming across an aluminum lid in a stream. They hadn't expected to find any signs of humanity on this island. It was incredibly remote, and further, it was incredibly unforgiving. But as they continued along their way, they came across a canvas boat adorned with a stamp that said, Andres, Pole Exp 1896. Now that pole and exp, of course, were abbreviations for Polar Expedition. They had found a boat stamped, Andres Polar Expedition 1896. Now again, it's important to note that this is 30 years after the last time any of the three men on this expedition were seen alive. It wasn't long, however, before they found the body of Solomon August Andre. He was leaning against a rock and he was partially submerged in snow. His head was missing, but inside his jacket they found a large monogram, an A for Andre. It wouldn't be long before they'd find accounts from all three of the expedition's explorers recounting their tragic ends. Frankel's notes were mostly scientific, recording things like meteorological observations. Strindberg also recorded scientific observations, but his were mostly about the night sky. But he also wrote letters to his fiancée, a woman named Anna Charlier. In those letters, Strindberg seemed tragically certain that they were going to get through this, that they were going to survive, and that he would get back there to her. Andre himself kept two journals, which are really the most thorough accounts of the events that led to their death. Early in the journey, he wrote, It is not a little strange to be floating here above the polar sea, to be the first to have floated here in a balloon. How soon, I wonder, shall we have successors? We think we can well face death having done what we have done. Isn't it all, perhaps, the expression of an extremely strong sense of individuality which cannot bear the thought of living and dying like a man in the ranks, forgotten by coming generations? Is this ambition? Thanks to those records, we learned that it was only 65 hours after they first departed that the crew finally had to choose to abandon their hot air balloon. 
It had taken them really far off course repeatedly. It had soared to heights that most of them felt were too dangerous to fly in a balloon, while other times it had flown so low that it was literally dragging along the ice. Exhausted and hungry, their journey by balloon ended only 570 miles from where they started. But only 300 of those miles had actually been in the right direction. They found themselves stranded, some 300 miles from where they started, 300 miles from the North Pole, and with next to no hope at all for rescue. Now, these guys were no quitters. So they strapped sledges, which are like heavy-duty sleds, to their backs, and loaded each one up with three or 400 pounds of gear and equipment and supplies, and started dragging them to the southeast. You see, in the event of some sort of a disaster, a disaster much like this, they had chartered a ship to drop off an emergency supply crate on Franz Joseph Island. Their plan was to drag their gear there, resupply there, and start working on rescue from that point. The problem was is that they were in perhaps the most inhospitable environment imaginable, and they were hungry. So believe it or not, this small crew of two engineers and a physics professor actually managed to hunt and kill a polar bear, which they then made into a pretty hearty meal. They walked for upwards of 10 hours a day, but the terrain was so bad, the gear was so heavy, that they still managed to only cover about three miles on the best of them. Through it all, though, Andre continued to capture the beauty of his surroundings, and he kept doing that even as their health began to fade. He really seemed to appreciate the fact that this small crew were the only men to ever see some of these environments that they were trudging through. And despite the misery of the circumstances, he still really seemed to appreciate the magic of that. On August 31st, more than a month and a half after they had departed, he wrote of what they saw when he said, The sun touched the horizon at midnight, the landscape on fire, the snow a sea of flame. Things were only going to get worse from there, however, and on September 28th, there had finally been enough snowfall for them to start working on a makeshift shelter. They piled up as much snow as they could, and then they had poured water over it to harden it, and eventually they had managed to make a sort of igloo that they were able to climb into and get a little bit of shelter from the elements. They slept in this igloo for less than a week before on October 2nd, the ice shelf that the shelter was on cracked and flooded their little space with ice and water. They did manage to escape, and then they set about the hard process of trying to fish out as much of their gear and supplies as they could, but a lot of it still managed to drift away. Even still, when they had no right to still be alive, their journals show that the men maintained pretty high spirits. Andre wrote at the time, No one had lost courage. With such comrades, one should be able to manage under, I may say, any circumstances. His last entry came only six days later. The crew had made their way onto an island, constructed another shelter, and for a brief moment felt relief. That last entry Andre wrote reads, It feels fine to be able to sleep here on fast land as a contrast with the drifting ice out upon the ocean where we constantly heard the cracking, grinding, and din. We shall have to gather driftwood and bones of whales and have to do some more moving around when the weather permits. And that's it. To this day, no one knows exactly how the men died. Some have postulated that they died one by one from different dangers presented by the harsh Arctic. Drowning, injuries, infections, or just the, the cold. 
Others have theorized that their poor diet and their failing health and the exhaustion may have all made them turn on each other. Others attribute their ends to simple exhaustion and exposure. One of their toenails, recovered from inside a sock, revealed high levels of lead in their systems, but not enough to account for poisoning. Likewise, Andre seemed to take effort to save his diaries for posterity before he died, suggesting that he was not in a state of panic, but rather one of somber acceptance, as the last bits of life left him. On October 5th, 1930, 33 years after they first departed, the remains of Solomon August Andre, Nut Frankel, and Nils Strandberg finally made it home. Five planes and five destroyers escorted them for the final leg of their journey. Once the remains did reach Stockholm, King Gustav V said, In the name of the Swedish nation, I here greet the dust of the polar explorers who, more than three decades ago, left their native land to find an answer to a question of unparalleled difficulty. Ultimately, although the endeavor was a failure, the courage and the determination of these three men in the face of insurmountable odds really does represent the best of us. Victory isn't the only standard by which we can grade heroism, especially through the lens of hindsight. Strength of will, camaraderie, and a willingness to sacrifice for something that's bigger than you are are all really important factors in what we consider a hero. It really isn't about whether you win or lose. In so many ways, heroism is about whether or not you're willing to try. Now, the Andre expedition represents so much of the best of us. And these men that were willing to try something new, something untested, they were willing to do something dangerous, to advance our understanding of the world for all of mankind. You know, those early astronauts in the Gemini program didn't actually have a whole lot to do in their space capsules. In effect, they were really kind of just monkeys being sent up into space to see if they'd survive, to see if we could build a spaceship that would keep a human being alive. That doesn't make them less heroic. In a weird way, it makes them more heroic. They weren't up there to, to do something incredibly technical. They weren't up there to lean on their expertise or their brilliance or their genius. They were up there literally just to put their lives on the line to advance something bigger than themselves. And that's what the Andre expedition was. But it's also important to remember that for all the ways Andre was right, and he was right about a lot of things, he was right that eventually we would explore this earth from above rather than by sea or on foot. He was also right that hot air balloons were capable of so much more than they were being utilized for at the time. But despite all the ways he was right, he was also wrong in all the most important ways, like knowing that they could achieve this incredible goal, getting them back home safely. But that's also an incredibly important part of heroism, of the picture of a hero that we develop in our minds. Failure is integral to the hero. Now, in the case of Andre, that failure cost him and his team his life, but we still gain from it. We gain from looking back at that story and understanding that great men, and I count Andre among great men, are ultimately just dudes. The founding fathers, Amerigo Vespucci, Christopher Columbus, Socrates, Abraham Lincoln, the one thing they all have in common is that they were all just guys. Guys that had flaws, guys that failed, guys that fell on their face. We remember them for their victories, but they had more than their fair share of failures as well. That's how they got to be who they were, through trying, through failing. Now, today the Andre expedition has been all but forgotten by history. And to be honest, that's in large part because they did fail. They did not reach the North Pole. 
They were not the first to get there and come back and tell the story. But they were also something more important than that. They were a stepping stone toward man's eventual dominance of this planet. They were a cog in the greater machine that is mankind's exploration. The will that they exhibited is the same sort of will that we will see in the first Martian colonists. It's not always going to be a happy ending. Not every story can end in victory. But these failures are just as important, if not as memorable. And as for Andre, in a weird way, it seems as though he may have predicted his own demise. Because back in 1895, two years before he'd set off on his ill-fated expedition, he wrote in his journal, In the Arctic, the cold only kills. And that's it, guys. That is the story of the Andre Expedition. I really appreciate you bearing with me through this really unusual episode of Soft Rep Radio. You know, I hope that you guys enjoyed it, but don't worry if you didn't. Next week, it will be right back to Soft Rep Radio as usual. In the meantime, I want to make sure that you guys check out our sponsors at CrateClub.us. Crate Club is the parent company that owns this podcast and half the websites that I write for, so I am a particular fan. You can get subscription boxes where they'll send you tactical gear right to your door every month, or you can go to the airdrop store and just pick out the stuff that you like, order it directly, and have that shipped straight to you. There's lots of awesome gear that's for sale either in the Crate Club airdrop store or through the Crate Club subscription service, and I really recommend that you check them out. And of course, I would be crazy if I didn't recommend that you guys all swing by thenewsrep.com. It is an excellent resource for anybody who wants to stay on top of war, the special operations community, defense technology, foreign policy, but you'd like to do it without all of the political hatchet fighting that you get in most of these other outlets. Politics does occasionally seep its way into NewsRep, but only by way of how it affects foreign policy, right? Mostly what we're focused on there is America's warfighting apparatus, how wars are developing elsewhere in the world, and what the future of conflict really looks like. If you're in the mood for some gear reviews, though, make sure you check out LoadoutRoom.com. LoadoutRoom.com is an awesome place to get all kinds of reviews for gear, ranging from camping and adventure to the type of special operations equipment that you would see Navy SEALs carrying into the fight. I spend a lot of my time over on LoadoutRoom.com for good reason, because it is an absolute blast. NewsRep, LoadoutRoom.com, both excellent choices, but if you want to get the gear sent straight to your door, that's CrateClub.us. So what do you say we wrap this whole thing up with a little bit of shameless self-promotion? My name, once again, is Alex Hollings. I'm a journalist and a Marine Corps veteran that you can find writing every day right there on the News Rep. You can also find my work on Popular Mechanics. I've got an awesome piece this week going up about the U-2 spy plane, which, if you didn't know, was actually the real reason we invented Area 51. I've also got lots of stuff up on We Are the Mighty and a number of other outlets, you can find me all over the place just by hunting me down on social media. You guys can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash alexhollingswriter. You can find me on Twitter at alexhollings52. And you can also send me an email directly through the contact form on alexhollings.com. I do want to warn you ahead of time that I get a lot of correspondence. So although I try my best to read every message that I receive, I don't necessarily respond to them. If you want to get a response out of me, your best bet is to not be an asshole. I know that that seems crazy that I'd even need to say that to you, but apparently when it comes to correspondence on the internet, most people forget 
that caps lock is not the best way to convey your point. But rest assured, even if you are a troll that just really revels in the opportunity to say crazy shit to some guy you don't know, I will probably read it and it probably will chip just another tiny little chunk off this little black hunk of charcoal that I call a heart. (laughs) But it probably won't accomplish much more than that. And for that, maybe I should say I'm sorry. Until next time, you guys, it has been a blast. I really hope that you've enjoyed this really unusual episode of Software Up Radio. I hope you enjoyed the story of the Andre expedition and maybe think a little bit harder now about how we qualify a hero and what attributes we really want to emulate in our life. Until next time, guys, I'm Alex Hellings, and I really appreciate you wasting some time with me. Thanks. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Soft Rep Radio.